Michael. Yes. Hey, bitch. Hey, hi. <laughs> Subverting expectations. Which I like. Hi, bitch. How are you? Um, I'm doing really good today. Oh, that's cute. I yeah. love that for you. I thank you, thank you. I've been having like those lesbian nesting fantasies with the uh, uh-huh. grunge girl a lot, so that's kind of fun, you know. Oh, that's cute. You two are so cute together. We are. You think so? Yeah, I said it. Don't question me. Okay. All right. I'm not going to question it. How dare you? First of all, you know, it's, sometimes it's bad to indulge in those fantasies. You know, you lose. Um, explain. If it all comes crashing down, you know. Uh, you're saying that sometimes it's bad to allow yourself to feel hopeful about your relationship because you might feel sad about it later? I'm just saying evil eye. You have to be aware of the evil eye. Okay. Well, we can just say and wish it away because we can't live our lives in fear of being happy about good things that happen to us. Was that like actual Hebrew you just said, or was that like yes. going on? Oh, okay. Bli ein haga, without the evil eye. Without the evil eye. Okay, great. Thank you. It's like a classic, it's like something that gets peppered into Hebrew conversation all the time. All right. Well, the other good thing that happened to me yesterday was that mm-hmm. I washed Skeeter in the tub. Oh. Yeah. Gave him a little scrub down. Wow. Really, you should control the Chai How Are You Instagram so that you can post pics of Skeeter? Uh, I can start sending you photos if you want. Yeah, you should send me photos to post on our Instagram so I can post more of the various animals we mention on the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, if people want to see that stuff, I mean, it brightens up my day to see small, puffy, cute little animals. Yeah, I'm pretty sure 90% of everyone in the world is pro-seeing pictures of cute animals okay all right i don't think there's anyone that's like how dare this podcast i follow on instagram post a picture of cute animals i come here for podcast updates and nothing else i see your point hava i see your point anyway so i'm i'm doing good great i'm great how are you hava uh baruch Hashem. i am well let's see i'm loving the fall weather fall weather is starting to creep in and i'm treasuring it last night Thursday, the 23rd, was the Nintendo Direct presentation where a lot of really cool video game stuff got announced, including a huge update for Animal Crossing. So I am ecstatic with Animal Crossing vibes. And yeah, tonight a friend asked to come over for Shabbat candle lighting, which was a surprise and a delight. I'm excited to have someone over to light candles with me. I've been working on my next class with Binya. I'm getting ready for a Talmud fellowship to start this fall. So I'm feeling good. I've been streaming more and more Animal Crossing and it's been fun to like hang out. I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast come to my Animal Crossing streams. And so it's kind of fun to hang out in a really different context with our listeners. Honestly, I didn't think much of our listenership would be interested in seeing me play Animal Crossing. I kind of thought it was just like this separate thing I was going to do, but it turns out that most streams where I stream Animal Crossing, someone from the show pops up. Whoa. It's cute. It's fun. Yeah, I know. The world is full of unpredictable podcast listener behaviors. Wow. Okay. I should go lurk at some point. Yeah. Anyway, okay, well, we have an announcement. We have a pod announcement. Oh, yeah, we have a pod announcement. Do you want to say it or should I say it? We should. You should say it. You should say it. Okay. Dear listeners, as we have been promising to you since time immemorial, we have finally come out with our first piece of merch. 
So we have created using the fabulous art that Sarah Day made for us. We have created some beautiful High How Are You t-shirts. I'm going to put the link to our Teespring store in the description of this episode. And I'll do some posting about this also. But we have some really cute Hi, How Are You Hamsa t-shirts. If you are a patron, you can get a t-shirt at cost. And if you are a not patron, then they'll be about 20 bucks. Yeah, somewhere around 2021. And I think at cost is like 17 or something like that. Yeah. And then if you're a patron, that'll be a few bucks less for you. So, yep. you know, we want you to wear cute Hi, How Are You t-shirts with cute Sarah Day art on them. We want to be tagged in your pictures of Hi, How Are You t-shirts and just see how cute you all look in our beautiful art. Yeah. Just so you know, if you go to the Teespring, Chrome and Firefox browsers, they don't do a good job showing the print. It looks more pixelated than it really is. It actually isn't pixelated at all. I ordered samples and confirmed and made sure that that was just an image rendering issue. Right. And I will post pictures of Michael in the shirt so that you all can see how cute they are in real life. Both Michael and the shirt. Oh, wow. Well, enough of all that. Yeah. Do you want to talk to us about the Talmud that you're bringing today? Yes. I'm pulling up the voicemail. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Hi, Hava. Hi, Michael. I am calling uh, with a question about from kites, specifically what Jews wear and what we wear that is a mitzvah that is asked of us. I'm a married Jewish woman. I've been experimenting recently with covering my hair. I live in a neighborhood with a lot of immigrants from all over the world and also a pretty big black hat, yeshivish community. I've been experimenting with wearing the tichel as a way to show solidarity uh, and remind myself to act in solidarity with my neighbors, but also to maybe show some of my yeshivish neighbors uh, that a high degree of secularism and a high degree of sidur mitzvah can coexist. But as I was researching, I was having trouble finding out where this myth actually comes from. I think that the requirement for married women to cover their hair all comes from the ordeal of the Sota and Parshat Naso, which is pretty yikes if that's the only reason the rabbis give for that mitzvah for married women. Anyway, you know the ins and outs of endlessly self-referential Talmud more than I do. I would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you, listener. Thank you, of course, obviously, and above all else. Thank you, dear listener, for this wonderful question, for giving us an excuse to go on this wonderful Talmud journey. You said in your voicemail that you were under the impression that the law regarding Jewish married women's head covering comes from the Sota ritual, which, for those of you who don't know, the Sota ritual is sort of this strange, quasi-magical spell that is listed in the Torah that has to do with, like, figuring out whether a woman has committed adultery or not. I do have to tell you, before we go into all of this, there's going to be plenty of plenty of yuck, plenty of cringe, plenty of, like, oh, that's where that comes from. 
plenty of the rabbis being sexist, so just gird your loins for that. But it also is a fun and interesting journey. For our first piece of information, we're going to go to Ketubot 72a. Ketubot is a masechet of the Talmud that is nominally about marriage contracts, and we'll see why that's relevant in a second. So we learn in a Mishnah on Ketubot 72a, So these are the things that a woman, basically her marriage can be ended, her husband can divorce her without paying out her ketubah. So this is sort of a, we don't really have this in Western law anymore, but if you recall that in Western law, there used to be a concept of fault in divorce, who was at fault, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's mostly no fault. I don't know enough about divorce law to say if that's universally true. These are basically cases where the Talmud is saying, if a woman fulfills any of these categories, she is at fault in the divorce and sort of forfeits her monetary divorce settlement. That would be the norm in a Jewish divorce. Okay. So the two things it lists are if she violates the law of Moses or the law of Jewish women. So the word being used here to mean law is dot, which is often like not the word we use to mean law. It's kind of being used in a more flexible sense here to mean something like the precepts or the customs. So she forfeits her divorce settlement if she either transgresses the precepts of Moses or the precepts of Jewish women. So, of course, the Talmud asks, What does it mean by the precepts of Jewish women? What are the precepts of Jewish women? And the first one that it lists is to go out with her hair uncovered. This is our Mishnaic source. And if you're following along at home, you may realize that No proof has been offered yet for this Mishnaic source. This is often something that happens in Talmud is that the Mishnah is perfectly content to just say, this is the way it is. We're making the law here in the Mishnah. We do what we want. And we say, cover your head. And then the Gemara, which we're going to learn in a second, comes along and tries to provide arguments to back up that confidence. In the Mishnaic section where this is stated. Is it attributed to a particular rabbi? or It is unattributed Mishnah. Okay. Depending on your tradition, some people always prescribe unattributed Mishnah to Rebbe Meir. Some people just are fine with it being unattributed, but it is not in the name of anyone in particular. Okay. All right. So we have this idea about the customs, the precepts of Jewish women involving covering their head. So the Gemara comes along on 72... B to give us some commentary. What are the customs of Jewish women? To go out with her head uncovered. That's the thing that you don't want to transgress. Okay. From the Torah, it's written, and he uncovers the head of the woman. So this is the connection to the Sota ritual that our dear listener was talking about. This little quote regarding uncovering the head of the woman comes from the Sota ritual. Basically, as part of this ritual for sort of discerning adultery or not adultery, part of what happens is that the priest who's conducting the ritual 
uncovers the woman's head. In the English, the JPS translation, it's translated as bears the woman's head. It's the same word that's used to mean she goes out with her head uncovered in our Mishnah. Is the source of this Tanakh or is the source of this Sota ritual that you're referring to with this translation coming from Talmud, some other part of Talmud? No, the source of the Sota ritual is from Tanakh. Okay. And so basically, the reasoning that's going on behind the scenes here is that if in this sort of humiliating and bizarre adultery ritual, the priest at some point uncovers the head of the woman, it must be true that in normal life, normal Jewish life, heads of women are covered. So we know by the fact that her head is uncovered in what some have called a ritual of public shame. Other people have more interesting reads on it. That's a whole other episode. That makes sense to me, logically. If it's said, like, then she took out her bottle of barbecue sauce, and there was no mention of barbecue sauce You made me earlier. spit coffee all over my desk. Uh, sorry. Um, <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. I was thinking about North Carolina barbecue sauce recently. <laughs> vinegar style. Yes, yes. So, like, because it's saying, then she takes out her barbecue sauce, and it doesn't say in the beginning she has to bring barbecue sauce to the temple mound, so it must be that carrying around barbecue sauce is a regular thing. Right. If only, can you imagine, like, the alternate universe where carrying around barbecue sauce has the status of Jewish head covering, and, like, Jewish women are just walking around with, like, holsters of barbecue sauce at all times? If a Chabad rabbi went up to me and said, hey, do you want to, like, go hard on your Judaism? You get to carry around <laughs> barbecue sauce. Here's some barbecue sauce. Like, you can do it anywhere. You can go into movie theaters, you know, parks. Right. They have to let you in. It's like a fucking religious thing. Right. Like, Imagine okay. the elaborately, like, created barbecue sauce holsters we would have. They would be, like, to fill in, like, made out of beautiful leather oh, with, like, verse inscriptions on them. Have you ever read the incense portion of the Talmud? No one does, because it's, like, all temple-related garbage. I but, have like, not read it as much as you have read it. They talk about the recipe for how to make the temple incense. Mm -hmm. They expound upon what's in Tanakh. They go from like four ingredients to like 13. Right. It'd be cool if they if we had like delicious recipes like that. Oh, right. Like the Torah barbecue sauce. Like yeah. when the priest says, take out your barbecue sauce, what he means is this barbecue sauce, which contains the tears of an angel. Yeah. And the Torah like says like this contains myrrh and like honey and locust pods. Right. And the egg of a phoenix. And the egg of a phoenix. And then the Talmud's like, well, it also contains like salt pepper on a cereal. <laughs> okay, so I'm hungry. She she takes out her barbecue sauce. Her head is uncovered. That's basically where we get it, but we have a lot more fun stuff to learn. So the Gemara continues with an debate Rabbi Yishmael as hara lebanot Yisrael shelo yotsu bifroar rosh. The school of Rabbi Yishmael teaches that that Torah verse is a warning for women not to go out with an uncovered head. Because an uncovered head in this verse is essentially associated with adultery, this is sort of saying, like, don't do that. So he says, his school says, according to Torah, even if she went out with just like a basket over her head, that's good. The Torah would, like, say that's enough. But by the precepts of Jewish women, by the Dat Yehudit, her head being covered with a basket is still prohibited. That's not enough. He does not go on to say this is the exact specifications of how her head must be covered. But basically, what we're getting here from the school of Rabbi Ishmael is sort of 
how we get from this verse to the more full version of head covering, because based on that verse in the Torah, you know, there's there's nothing in that verse in the Torah about how her head is covered. We could make all kinds of unfounded assumptions about how her head is covered. Okay, sure. You know, and so that's why he says even with the basket, because basket, you know, probably has holes in it. It's not what we normally use to cover our hair. So the basket is sort of a symbol here of like something sort of absurd we could cover our head with because the Torah doesn't specify. It just sort of generally mentions the idea of not covering. How does he argue that it isn't a basket? How does he argue that it's not a basket that we have to go above and beyond? Above and beyond the basket. Basically, my understanding of the flow of the argument is we have heard in a Mishnah that a woman who transgresses the precepts of Jewish women can be divorced without her payout. Right. And we just have to trust because we're Talmud people, right, putting ourselves in the heads of the rabbis that the Mishnah is 100% true and we just have to work with it. Right. So the Gemara brought us a proof of where the idea of covering our head from comes from. Right. But that proof is from Torah. Right, right. So that, you might say, is not dot Yehudi. That's right out of the Torah. That doesn't really fit the category that's being referenced. Okay, that's what's confusing me. Tell me if this is going beyond the scope of the podcast. But, like, presumably the Amoraic rabbis, the ones composing Gemara and commenting on this Mishnah, assume that Mishnaic rabbis are interpreting Tanakh, and that's where they're saying their truths from. And it's the Amoraic rabbis just rediscovering what the Tanaitic rabbis had left out. So the Amoraic rabbis, for the most part, obviously there's always exceptions, but assume all the language of the Mishnah to be what we would call necessary language. It's all said exactly the way it is for a meaningful reason. Okay. So if we were just pulling out this idea about women covering their heads from Torah, that's what we would say. We wouldn't say dat yehudit. We would say that it comes right from the Torah, right? Okay, okay. So because we say dat yehudit, the school of Rabbi Yishmael... Who, who says dat yehudit? The Mishnah. The Mishnah says dat yehudit. Oh. Yeah. So the Mishnah says this comes from our... The customs of Jewish women. Yes. And so the proof from Scripture is good to give us a sort of idea of why women might cover their heads to begin with... But then the school of Rabbi Yishmael comes to sort of explain how this is dat yehudit and not just straight from the Torah. Because if it was straight from the Torah, then the Mishnah would have told us so. Right, right, right. You know, you could imagine a case in a hypothetical situation where a woman did go out with her head covered with a basket. And then you have to ask herself, like, can she be divorced without a settlement now? And the answer, in my view, would be, Yes, according to this halakha, because even though she was good by the standards of the Torah, she was still transgressing the dat yehudit, the precepts of Jewish women that Rabbi Ishmael is discussing here. Okay. So, that is the basics, right, of the origins of head covering. I wanted to bring further, above and beyond, some more interesting ideas about head covering that I think don't get enough attention in our sort of mostly American context. I went out looking for situations where people essentially historically treated head covering in an unusual way. And I found this really interesting story of this person, Rav Messas, who was hanging out in Morocco in the 1950s, who was faced with a problem. And he basically created a rabbinic ruling that 
has been referenced since. It's not really widely accepted today, but still an interesting proof that allowed women to not cover their head at all. And this is coming from a highly orthodox context, you know, 1950s Moroccan rabbi, not exactly a a loosey-goosey renewal type. Okay, okay. So we're going to learn from the writings of Rabbi Yosef Massas. In his writings, he says, The prohibition of uncovering the head for married women was strict among us here from past practice, and thus in all cities of the Maghreb before the coming of the fringe. But within a short time of their coming, the daughters of Israel broke this boundary. No reproof was of use, and now all the women go out with head bare, hair uncovered, and therefore I must put my mind to teaching about them favorably, for it is impossible to conceive of returning to the matter as it was. And in my approach to seek in the words of the halachic authorities that came before me, I found stringency upon stringency and prohibition upon prohibition. So basically what Rav Masas is saying here is, I want to obey this sort of Jewish ethic we have of melamed zechut to create a favorable judgment to teach with a positive view of people. Mm -hmm. The Jewish women of Morocco are never going to cover their heads again. That's just reality. He's accepted that reality. And so now because of this sort of general ethic of trying to teach favorably about the Jewish community, he has to find a way to make that right. okay. Tell me if I got this right. So he zooms out and is like, hey, look, there's a lot of laws here that prohibit previous prohibitions. So it's almost like people are reversing things. And I'm just, I'm just following that tradition of like reversing judgments. Is that basically what he's saying? How I read it, I don't think that you're wrong. I think we're both guessing here. How I read that section of his writing was saying... Nobody has taken it upon themselves to reckon with reality here. Everyone wants to get more and more strict. And I'm like sort of rejecting that idea and choosing to like be favorable to the daughters of Yisrael. Like everyone just gets more and more stringent, more and more prohibitions. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, And we just can't live that way. Got it. Got it. Got it. I think that makes more sense. So Rav Masas goes on and says, The prohibition is not from the uncovered hair itself, but rather from the custom of the daughters of Israel who were accustomed to cover their head. This is the Dat Yehudit that we talked about, right? It's from Mm -hmm. the precepts of Jewish women. Because they thought at their time that this was modesty for a woman, and a woman who uncovered her hair was considered a breaker of the boundary of modesty. And for this reason, the Torah warned all daughters of Israel to not do the opposite, of the custom of the daughters of Israel in this. So this is what we're talking about when the school of Rabbi Yishmael said that Torah verse is a warning and you would be good even with a basket. That's what Rav Misas is referencing here. Mm-hmm. If so, now that all the daughters of Israel agree that there is no modesty in covering the head, the prohibition has been fundamentally uprooted and has become permissible. Whoa. Yes. And so this is Rav Masas's conclusion is essentially that now that popular perception of what head covering means or doesn't mean has become universally transformed in his society, we can now find that Dat Yehudit does not include head covering. I wonder what his opinion would have been if instead of it saying Dat Yehudit, it had said from Tanakh. Right. I am not sure. That would be interesting. Yeah. So this is a an incredibly interesting case where a very traditional Jewish authority acts with a kind of flexibility and a sense of his own times that 
we often don't really associate with that sector of the Jewish world. So I thought it was important for us all to learn about it. And this is very controversial. A lot of Orthodox authorities today don't, you know, buy into this idea that custom can change in this particular way. But still, it was worth bringing. Is there a Sephardic Ashkenazi divide over the head covering in Orthodox There is not really. My sense from my limited study and wisdom is that there has been and that divide has closed a little bit. So I wanted to bring one more atypical piece of head covering information. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Because this is something I see all the time. I see a lot of, you know, lefty and queer Jews who become interested in head covering. And a lot of us either can't get married for different reasons or just aren't married, don't believe in the institution of marriage, whatever, what have you. And so often folks on on this side of the Jewish spectrum tend to have complicated feelings about head covering because it is mostly throughout history prescribed for married Jewish women. And so people sort of think to themselves like, oh, like, can I do this? Like, this is not really a mitzvah for me. Is there like a problem with me doing it? I just wanted to bring something to give support to that crowd because I used to be in that crowd. So this is from a section of Maimonides' Mishnah Torah called Isurei Bia, which literally means like the forbidden sex, like forbidden sexual relations, basically. So it's a section of Maimonides' great work of Halakha, and this is a section sort of dealing with sexual issues. And so we're in Isuraibia chapter 21, Halacha Yudzain. Maimonides says, regarding what we've been discussing, Lo yehalchu benot Yisrael perure rosh bashuk. So women, the daughters of Yisrael, should not go forth with their heads uncovered in the marketplace. Basically, the marketplace here is a sort of synecdoche for in public. Okay. Achat penuya u achat eshet ish. Either if they are single or either if they are a married woman. So Maimonides, as some or all of you may know, is essentially the conclusive halachic authority who most modern halachic understandings flow from. So if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not a married woman, can I cover my head and feel okay about it? Maimonides says, you gotta. Okay, great. If your psychology predisposes you to run away from guilt as opposed to running towards something positive, this is a great thing to tap into. It's a great tool for you. Yeah, great. Amazing. Thank you. Um, Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, this has been a lot of later halachic authorities. Basically, they didn't like this idea for Maimonides, and they found different ways to think about it and to get around it, which are sort of, I've decided are not within the scope of this episode to get into because I've already taken up a lot of time. But yeah, that's my summary of head covering stuff. Any final thoughts before I say my final thoughts? My brain goes to the metaphysical implications of these arguments about oral Torah, and and I'm kind of still swimming in those earlier questions of what it means if it's dot yehudit, but it's in the oral Torah. That's kind of contradictory if it's dot yehudit, but it's oral Torah and comes from God. Oh my God. Right. What What does it mean to like legislate a custom? Yeah. And what? Uh, It's very strange. Very strange categorization of stuff. That's where I go. Also, um, I'm hungry. (laughs) that's also one of the things yeah i feel that i'm a little hungry as well dear listener thanks again for this wonderful question it provided obviously a really great episode i hope we have answered your question 
if you, dear listener, have a question, other dear listeners, dear listeners, other than the one who sent in this message, if you have a question, whether seemingly Jewish or otherwise, please send it in to us. Call our Talmud hotline, which is in the description of every episode, or send us an email at you at gmail.com, or ask us a question on our website at chihowareyou.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we would love to to answer your question on the show. We love listener questions. I want to do a lot more listener questions. Yes, so. yes. We have a tiny backlog that we're working through from like earlier in the spring. It's true. So if you submitted a question, get ready because yeah. you're about to get blasted with wisdom. Blasted. Cool. Okay. Enjoy the Chai How Are You t-shirts and Shavua Tov, everybody. Shavua Tov. Shavua Tov.